The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Monday, January 16th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I am Frank Sample, joined once again by Scott White and Chris Towers today on the show. We have not talked about the balanced schedule yet at all and what it might mean for fantasy baseball. It might not matter at all, but I found a few things. I'm going to bring it up to these guys, and they'll let me know if it actually means anything. We also have a bunch of your mailbag questions, so continue to send those in. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I if you want to email us, or you could drop a question in an Apple podcast rating and review. Scott, if all goes well, sneak peek, we're uh, recording this in advance. We are meeting today. We are actually meeting today in person on January 16th. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> haven't finalized those plans yet, but hopefully that's the case. Oh, Scott, you sound thrilled. I am thrilled. I am. I sent, Scott, I sent Scott a YouTube comment. Someone said uh, we should do a show from Scott's living room and that the internet would break if that happened. So It would. It probably would. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know. The next time, while when when you're recording next week, you should have Scott recording and you, Frank, in the background, just moving stuff in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Recreate one of our favorite memories. Uh, Yes, yes. For those who don't know, there was a a live podcast where there were movers just behind Scott moving a bunch of stuff around, and uh, I wasn't around for that, but it sounds like it was hilarious. Um, These guys are going to be here doing live streams Tuesday and Wednesday, tomorrow and Wednesday, from three to four p.m. Eastern time. So. Who knows, you know, if I'm in the neighborhood, maybe I'll just knock on the door and just kind of stroll on in and, you know, start moving stuff around. We'll see what happens. Let's jump right in and take a look at this balanced schedule. What does this mean exactly? For the first time in MLB history, every team will face each other at least in at least one series this upcoming season. Opening day is on March 30th. The season ends on October 1st. The All-Star Game is set for July 11th. Teams will face their division rivals far less now than in years past, 52 total games in 2023. That is down from 76 games last season. So instead of facing your division rival 19 times each, 
that will now be 13 times per season. Uh, as a result, interleague play will go from 20 games each to 46 total games per team. Uh, what might this mean for fantasy baseball? Well, taking a look, a gander, the AL East and the NL East were the toughest divisions last year by run differentials. So this should mean that it, it's a boost to the pitchers within those divisions because they won't have to face each other as much. It's not as simple as that. Again, it's we're kind of parsing through these things and trying to figure it out, much like the rule changes that we talked about. I don't know which players will specifically be affected by this, but Scott, that was my early takeaway is that AL and NL East are tough divisions. If you're not pitching within those divisions as much, theoretically, you should be facing weaker teams and that should be good for the pitchers. Yeah, I, I mean, they were the toughest divisions last year. I, um, I, I honestly, I don't think this means a lot for the fantasy game. I mean, you're saying, okay, so instead of facing your division rival 19 times, it'll be 13 times. So that's one series at each location that's being lost. So if you want to go look at the perspective, okay, NL, NL West teams other than the Rockies will have one less series at Coors Field. Okay, <laughs> like that doesn't change the way I'm going to approach any of their players, and um, I, like in the in the grand scheme of a 162 game season, I don't think I, I don't think this is going to be noticeable for individual player performances. Yeah, I mean, it could be something that's just around the margins, right? You know, maybe Garrett Cole, instead of having a 3.50 ERA, he's, you know, back down to a 3.3 or 3.25. or That's just an example. But I don't think these things are going to be drastic changes, but it could just change things slightly around the margins. And I'm happy you brought up the NL West and missing out on uh, an extra series in Coors Field because this might not sound like a lot. But Manny Machado, CJ Crone, and Juan Soto each hit three home runs in Coors Field last season. They're still going to play their, you know, I guess it's going to be at six games, six or seven games in Coors Field, but they're losing out on a series. Jake Cronenworth hit 405 with a 1203 OPS in 48 plate appearances. That's that's actually a decent amount. Like, I, I don't know how much that takes off. Maybe it's like five to ten points in batting average, but Jake Cronenworth was already not a great batting average contributor anyway. Um, NL West hitters who had an OPS over 900 at Coors Field last season, Juan Soto, Jake McCarthy, Jake Cronenworth, Christian Walker, Tyro Estrada, Mike Estremski, Manny Machado, and Will Smith. Chris, again, I could be reaching here. Is there anything? Do you think this matters at all for fantasy baseball? It shouldn't change how you draft. Uh, I don't think there's like there will be some impact. You know, there's always some player who has a massive series at Coors Field. It happens several times a year. And, you know, it, it becomes slightly less likely for the Padres, Dodgers, Diamondbacks. God, I always forget. There's one other team in the NL West, right? Who am I forgetting? I, I didn't. It, but like I, yeah, what you're saying, though, is, is almost like a, a Schrodinger's cat situation, right? Like where. In this alternate reality, some player would have had a huge series at Coors right. Field. <laughs> now he doesn't have. Right, right, right. Like good it's luck, e good luck figuring out who that was. To look right. in the past and say, well, maybe Jay Cronenworth would have been a little less valuable because he didn't get that extra. But like who that will be and because and, guys go to Coors Field and go one for ten over the course of a series. You know, that happens too. So it's it's it'll matter. It's just how what the impact will be in the future is pretty much impossible to say. I, I don't think it should impact your your draft strategy much whatsoever. It does, I, I think, make 
there's some weird schedule things like the Yankees open the season against the Giants. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that, it's just going to take some getting used to, like, from a from like the perspective of my brain, which is yeah, used like, to the. But like, like as, just as, a base, as, as a baseball fan, yeah, it, it certainly um, changes the flow of the season. But I like it. Sure. Like, yeah. I'm a fan of every team. Like, I think it's cool that every team's going to have an opportunity to face every other team. And like your chances of seeing a given player at your team's home stadium are increased. I, I like that. I don't love that the Yankees are playing at Miami this year. Would have been nice to see the Marlins up here in an extra series. But, you know. I'll live with that. I guess they only get three series at uh, at the old city field now. But, yeah, I, I think it's great. I'm a fan. I, I just don't – I don't think it makes much of an impact on the uh, the fantasy outcomes. So I'm actually going down to Scott's neck of the woods. Uh, when you're listening to this, I'm, I'm already there. But uh, the point is I'm going to look at condos and stuff and seeing, all right, is this something I would want to do? Do I want to make this move to Fort Lauderdale? Uh, I already looked at the the Marlins schedule to see when the Yankees are in town. So oh, it's it's in yeah. it's in mid August. August, yeah. yeah. I mean, so there there's a real chance that I'll be at that game, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess this probably doesn't matter to you guys either, but I'll just bring it up because it's something else that I wrote down here. Uh, the AL and NL Central teams, I think typically we've looked to target their pitchers or you know just thinking about it like Corbin Burns hey favorable schedule he pitches in the mm-hmm. NL Central or uh, for the AL Central teams who faced you know the the Twins or the Guardians or the Royals for that matter it's something that we have targeted in years past so I'm guessing overall this might not matter much but uh, maybe it's a slight downgrade it to those certainly teams. matters more on a divisional scale right. than like individual team like I think that that there's likely to be more of an impact on the AL and NL Central teams who generally face weaker schedules, uh, at least in the recent past, than there is for like the NL West teams who lose that one series at at Coors Field just because it's one series versus, you know, 15% of the schedule or whatever it works out to be. So, you know, I I do think there's some impact there. But again, it's it shouldn't be enough to change. Like this isn't like the COVID season, right? Where they only faced NL and AL only central team or AL and NL central teams. And there was a huge impact. Like we saw pitchers in that, in those divisions got a a real boost. It's, it's not nearly as dramatic as that. We're talking about, you know, losing 15% of your games or whatever it is versus your own division and, and adding, you know, teams from every division. So I think it, if anything, it, balances the schedule and, and makes it less likely that the division that you play in is going to have an impact on uh, on your on a player's outcome. Never forget Kenta Maeda 2020. Great schedule. Oh, Zach Plesak. How could we forget Zach Plesak? I mean, too? Like, oh my ever, like, Trevor Bauer had like a 190 ERA that year. Like he won the, the Cy Young almost, I'm not going to say entirely because of it, but like that was a, a legitimate thing with the, the NL and AL Central is like, yeah, I think Zach Plesak had eight starts and Four of them were against the Royals or something weird like that. Uh, yeah, I don't want to pick on the AL Central, but the Cleveland Guardians won the AL Central in 2022 with a run differential of plus 64, which by my estimation right now is by far the lowest of any division winner in baseball last season. So again, just to put that in perspective. All right, so balanced schedule. That's what you need to know about it. I think it's more so from a baseball perspective than from a fantasy baseball perspective, but just a few things that I noticed uh, and pointed out there for you. Let's get into some listener questions. Again, you could always email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, or you could leave a question in an Apple podcast rating and review. This one is from Vince, an opponent in my league, 
Dynasty, 12 teams, head-to-head points, is offering me Justin Verlander for Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider will cost me $20 this year. We have a $1,000 auction budget for the draft and in-season pickups. Verlander will cost $40 this year. Keepers move up in $20 tiers year over year. I think Verlander is the more valuable pitcher right now. Also, full disclosure, I'm a diehard Mets fan. However, I would hate to miss out on four to five years worth of Strider being an ace for a cheaper price. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the even if they were the same price, because it's a dynasty league, I, I think you stick with Strider over Verlander. In, interestingly enough, I have dynasty rankings up 150 on the site. So you might want to check those out as you're weighing these decisions. It's presuming equal cost for everybody, uh, which isn't the case here. But Spencer Strider is 33rd in those rankings, and Justin Verlander is 70th, 7-0. In this instance, when you're talking about like 4% of your budget versus 2% of your budget, yes, acknowledging that you need money for in-season pickups, like that's... I would say that's fairly even value. Like Verlander costs twice as much, but it's such a small number that, you know, I think it's the, the cost shouldn't make that big of a difference there, but I think it still makes Strider the the better option. And for what it's worth, look, Strider's much, much younger than Verlander on a per inning basis. Spencer Strider was the second best pitcher in baseball behind Jacob deGrom last year. So he should be really good. He probably won't throw as many innings as someone like Verlander, but uh, Spencer Strider should be awesome when he's on the mound. There's a lot more risk that you get relatively nothing out of Strider than Verlander. Like Verlander is a proven ace who, you know, outside of the Tommy John surgery has been a guy who gives you 200 innings pretty much every single season. Spencer Strider hasn't topped 100 innings once in his life. So, you know, I, I think there's... There's real risk that Strider, like Strider's still in the age and experience range where like if he needed Tommy John surgery, I'm not saying I hope it happens. I hope it doesn't. But like generally speaking, 24 year olds who throw 98 miles an hour, there's a lot of injury risk with those types of guys who haven't proven it. Putting Vince's question aside, because we haven't had you on the podcast much in the past few months, Chris, Mm -hmm. um, our rankings are all about to come out basically right around this pod, it's not the time the podcast is airing. Where do you have Justin Verlander ranked, Chris, among <laughs> starting pitchers? Uh, let me Because you're talking about how safe he is, and I agree. But uh, I seem to be on an island in terms of ranking him number one at starting Yeah, he's number for four season. for me. Okay, so still really so, high. Yeah, actually ADP number three, is, I guess, because I haven't. Shohei Otani, when I uploaded it, he... Moves up because of his overall ranking, but not yeah. at starting pitcher. Yeah, so you're not gonna, if, if you're it's number just three, Strider is number thirteen right now. Although that's that's one that's certainly subject to to debate, and I, I could see moving probably not up. I, I think there, that there's a chance I might move him down, but I do have you know Verlander quite a bit higher. I'm pleased to hear it because the consensus seems to have Justin Verlander outside the top ten, and I've heard. We've had some people on who had him barely inside the top 20. <laughs> and look, I'm probably not drafting the number one pitcher no matter who it is. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the case would be that he didn't throw that many innings last season, that his strikeout rate was relatively low relative to like only 185 strikeouts, 9.5 K per nine, a lot of, you know, inflated ERA there. So I, I could see the case uh, against him, but... I don't know. I, I I don't think 
there's too much to be concerned about there. It's just yeah. maybe there's lower, there's less upside with him than there is someone like Garrett Cole or, or certainly Corbin Burns. I think it's just ageism, personally. It could be. I mean, I think there was a, a slight decline in the skills that, that we've seen in years past. The swinging strike rate was lower. The K minus walk rate is not where it has been, you know, in prime Justin Verlander years. But he just won the AL Cy Young, and he had a sub two ERA. So oh, led that, the majors in ERA, led the majors yeah. in WHIP, and and like the the stuff itself. It's not like he lost three miles per hour on his fastball or anything, or even right. one mile per hour on his fastball. So, um, he's, I think he's fine. I have Verlander at six, so I'm I'm a little bit lower than you guys, but you know I, I think still higher than consensus. I have Strider exactly at thirteen too. So, psh, high five, Chris. We have uh, <laughs> the same ranking there. Let's move over to MVS. <laughs> That's a uh, FFT live stream for those who uh, listen to both, listen or watch both of these. Um, these contents here from Mario 12 team auction $260 budget points league with middle infielders and corner infielders. Keep six of these players, Corey Seager for 20 bucks, Shane O'Mac. Uh, I'll get back to Shane O'Mac. Carlos Rodon, $10. Wander Franco for nine bucks. Steven Kwan for eight bucks. Zach Gallen, seven. O'Neill Cruz, five. Spencer Strider for one. Nate Lowe for one. More context, I also have three minor leaguers that are free to keep until active or lose rookie eligibility. Matt Mervis, parentheses, thank you, Scott White, Tristan Casas, and Josh Young. Okay. Uh, okay, let's see. So this is a points league. That's important context. I think Strider at a dollar is a slam dunk. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't want to go pitching crazy this year, but like... Just glancing through cost benefit, they're all really I, I good think, values. I think I think yeah. McClanahan, Rodon, yep, at eleven and ten dollars respectively are, are pretty easy calls. Gallon, gallon at seven. seven. Yeah. Uh, so how many are we up to? That's four. I mean, that, so that brings four. you to twenty nine dollars on four pitchers. Which, like, the thing about that is you could just not draft another pitcher, or you know, not invest much in pitcher otherwise, and you should be pretty good, right? Like you've got two three guys who are projected as borderline sp1s between rodon Ma uh, mcclanahan and rodon or rodon strider and mcclanahan and then gallon is what an sp3 so like that's that's a that's a f pretty great pitching staff already so you know i think there are volume concerns in a points league with all three of those guys but not enough that i wouldn't keep them because it's a points league i'd prefer wander franco for nine instead of o'neill cruz for five mm-hmm yep. And I think, I mean, you could keep both since there's a middle infield spot, but I think I also prefer Corey Seager for 20 rather than O'Neill's Cruz for five since it's a, a points leak. But that I could be talked out of that one. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think either way, you're going with a Texas Ranger for that six spot. I, I like Nate Lowe for a dollar or two. I, you know, he's probably going to go for, I don't know, 10 to $12 in, in a 12 team auction like that so you get some savings there i agree the four pitchers uh wander franco i would go nate low it sounds like these two uh like Corey seager from jason in a 10 team three outfielder head-to-head -head categories league with obp dynasty league with five keepers no contract so you can keep for life juan soto mike trout manny machado are locked in need to decide on two of the four below corbin burns spencer strider michael harris and corbin carroll should I go with pitchers to give me an advantage in strikeouts, or should I keep the young bats because of the keep-for-life factor and their power-slash-speed upside? Are the pitchers easier to replace? Uh, you keep Michael Harris and Corbin Burns. Yeah, I think that's the way I'd go. 
even with OBP with Michael Harris? Yeah, I mean that that is a, a wrinkle that that does um, hurt Michael Harris in a way it does in traditional. To, to be fair, five you've already have you already have Soto yeah, and Mike, Soto Trout, and Mike yeah. Trout are arguably two of the yeah. best OBP guys out there. So True. You're, yeah. you're probably okay. Like you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere and. You know, I, it, it comes down to, I think, Strider versus Harris. And I, I have concerns about, you know, whether what Harris did last season was for real and whether there's, you know, the long-term viability of it. But I also have those same concerns about Strider, who is also a young pitcher. So I just think, you know, all else being equal, and I think Harris versus Strider is pretty close to being equal, if not, you know, tilted towards Strider in the short term or it's still tilted toward Harris. Uh, I think you just take the the young position player. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and then you have Corbin Burns as your ace. And, you know, once the draft actually starts up, you have four hitters locked in. Your outfield is good to go. So you don't have to worry about that, which, frankly, it's a it's a pretty rough position this year. Uh, and, then, and third base locked in with Manny Machado there. So that's real yeah, nice. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, once this draft starts up, you can pick up your SP2, 3, whatever. And I think you're good to go. So I agree with these guys. I would go with uh, Corbin Burns and... Michael Harris. Uh, just a reminder that I'll be out for the next two days. You'll get an early rankings debate and a Roto Mock Draft recap from Scott, Chris Towers, and Chris Welsh over the next two days. Uh, and our 2023 rankings and salary cap values will be live on the site tomorrow when you're listening to this. January 17th, go to cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball slash rankings, Roto, head-to-head points, AL only, NL only, you name it. It will be live on the site Tuesday, January 17th. Let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Let's jump back into your mailbag questions. This one is from Ty. I play in a 5x5 head-to-head 12-team league. We are allowed to keep six players and have a budget of $260. I have a few options and was curious to get your thoughts on the last few keepers. Prices increase by $3 each year. You can keep a player as long as you want. My initial thought would be to keep Schwarber, Brandon Woodruff, and Shane O'Mac, Shane McClanahan. However, with the higher price tag of those players, I could go cheaper and hold on to a Josh Young or Tristan McKenzie type. So definitely keeping Pete Alonzo for 19, Bobby Witt Jr. for 13, Sandy Alcantara for 23. The other options, Schwarber for 21, Josh Young for 5 bucks. Brandon Woodruff for 23, Shane McClanahan for 24, Nick Lodolo for 7, and Tristan McKenzie for 15. Yeah, I don't think the discount there between like a McKenzie at 15 and a McClanahan at 24 is enough to justify keeping the cheaper player. I think I think you have the right idea. The discount is enough for the 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 three studlier players, Schwarber, Woodruff, and McClanahan. That uh even though You'll probably go into the draft with less available dollars than some other teams. Uh, the quality of the players makes it worth it. You know, I'm thinking about it from a 12-team headset categories perspective. These are probably close to the prices that these players are going to go for. Kyle Schwarber, at least. I mean, you know, he could he could be a little bit more expensive at twenty-one dollars. Uh, Woodruff at twenty-three. Shane McClanahan. Maybe McClanahan's closer to like a thirty-dollar pitcher. Um, but yeah. Nick Lodolo yeah, at seven. Counts. Lodolo at seven kind of stands out too. I know he's you know a popular early breakout. Lodolo so at seven so. seems like about what he'll actually go for. I mean, I think he's probably more of like a ten to fifteen guy, but maybe I'm wrong about that. As the what is he out? He's outside the top forty starting pitchers for me. I can't. I have, <laughs> so you guys have actually put together your values, and I haven't. But just from um, past uh, experience with them, and, and of course, your distribution of dollars may vary. 
Right. Well, it, uh, that's always the case in any keeper or dynasty league because Pete Alonso is not going to go for 19. Bobby Witt's not going to go for 13. Sandy, like those are all probably $30 players. Sure. And you've got them for 55 total or whatever. So extra dollars are out there. Yeah, there, there, there's always inflation. keeping their discounted players, yeah. yeah. Right. There's always inflation in a dynasty or, or keeper league draft. And, and so that's the thing you have to keep in mind is that whether it's a snake draft, whether it's a, a salary cap draft, you're always going to have, b- because there's fewer dollars going into the draft allocated to the very, very good players, typically, that's who, usually who's going to be kept, you're going to see the middle class go higher. I have Lodolo for, uh, he's like a $10 player for me right now. Um, so I, I think like $7 is a fine value, but it's not a steal by any means, especially given yeah. the, the likely inflation. I think he'll go for around 10 So. I don't think yeah. that's a a huge discount either way. I think in this scenario, you just take the best players. You've got the you've got the flexibility to do that because you've got again Alonzo, Witt, and and Alcantara for fifty five dollars total. It brings you to keeping Schwarber, Woodruff, and McClanahan. That brings you to like one twenty six or one twenty seven total. And that's probably one hundred and sixty dollars worth of players. So you still come out ahead. And a little bit of auction draft strategy as well. I typically like to live in this area, you know, sub 30% dollar players. I don't typically like to spend up unless, you know, that's what the draft room is telling me. If, if everyone's, you know, doesn't want to spend up, then then you're probably getting those guys for values as well. I like to live in this range. And I do stand corrected because I have Nick Lodolo as a $9 pitcher. So uh, good job on you, Scotty. Steamer has Nick Lodolo as an $11 pitcher. So He's right around that range, uh, and I actually have Woodruff as a, a $29 pitcher, so that's that's coming at a pretty good value for you this upcoming season. Do, do you know if Steamer's uh, for 12-team, calibrated for a 12-team or a 15-team? So you can set it up either way. If you go to Fangraphs.com, they have an auction calculator, and you can set it up for 12 or 15s. The numbers that I'm looking at right now are for 12-team leagues. So Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Has Lodolo as an $11 player, and they have Woodruff as uh, actually a $17 player, so... But I think we, we being people who write for CBS, tend to um, to put a uh, what's the word I'm looking for. We, we we prioritize the high end guys. We're we're less cautious. So so our 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 highest players we tend to give a higher value to than. Um, than maybe more of a projection system would. Yeah, I mean, you look at the projection system, they've got, like, Steamer has Aaron Judge as a $37 player. Yeah. He's yeah. not going to go for 37 in any $260. Like, that's just not right. typically how it works. The best players are going to go at least 40 usually more like 50 Yep, and I have Aaron Judge at $40 in a mixed roto league as well in a 12-team league. And again, if you really want him, he's, he's probably going to push something like 45. So just keep that in mind. When yeah, that's where I have the top players. I have the, the top five in the 44 range. Yep. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next question. This one's from Colin. Struggling with which keepers I should keep in my minor league keeper spots. Pick three of these. Ooh, Tra- prospects. Yeah. Which if Top you, 100 prospects is out, baby. <laughs> if you listen last week, we did an extensive breakdown. We jumped all around Scott's top 100 prospects, and that article is live on the site, so make sure to check it out as well. Pick three of these names. Dre Jameson, Miguel Vargas, Jordan Walker, Matt Mervis, Ezekiel Tovar, and Ricky Tiedemann. 
Also, I currently have Gunnar Henderson. Uh, I have Riley Green in a keeper spot and Gunnar in a minor league spot, but have considered keeping Gunnar in the major league spot uh, if you think one of those guys should be kept over Riley Green. So I guess oh. we'll just throw him in that conversation as well, Scott. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to add him to the list here and choose three of those, including Riley Green. Okay, so Jordan Walker's my number three prospect. Uh, Miguel Vargas is my number nine prospect. And I believe my third highest on this list is Ezekiel Tovar, which is 18. So uh, do I want to keep Riley Green, who I had as a top five prospect last year, over Ezekiel Tovar, who I have number 18 this year? Uh, they have changed the dimensions in Comerica Park, long overdue, in a way that should benefit hitters, though it's not a drastic change. It can help. Riley Green was pretty disappointing, obviously, as a rookie. That's the only reason it's in doubt. I I think I would promote, or I, I think I would keep Riley Green over Tovar. Uh, but it is a close call, and if you guys disagree, I'd love to hear your arguments. Uh, Scott, do you have your list open right in front of you right now? Top 100, yeah. Where do you have Ricky Tiedemann on that list? 26. And Tovar is 18, 18. so it's pretty yeah. close. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. And, and that's close enough that like, if you just really love Tiedemann, right. you really want a pitcher, uh, you don't have a lot of faith in, in Tovar, um, you, you think maybe he's being inflated because of where he's going to play his home games. Colorado, obviously, for those who don't know. Then... Okay, like I, it's close enough that I think personal uh, preference is is a fine reason to uh, go Tiedemann instead of Tovar, and, and like I wouldn't even object that much if you wanted to go Matt Mervis, who I have outside the top forty, and like that's kind of I'm I'm Matt Mervis forty forty first, so we're talking about eighteen for Tovar, forty first for Matt Mervis. I mean, it seems like a big gap, but. Given the hundreds of prospects out there, like twenty-three spots, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Jordan Walker number three and Matt Mervis on on more or less equal footing. But I think Tovar and Mervis uh, are, are closer than those twenty-three spots might suggest. I, I, I would, I, I think I that's would totally just go fair. with Riley Green. All right, yeah. So a, a couple different answers there, and Riley Green, some underlying. Good data for him. His max exit velocity was very good last year. He hit the ball hard. He hit the ball on the ground way too much, and that wasn't really an issue for him in the minors. So I think if he can get that launch angle up, the the changes in dimensions to Comerica Park, there is an argument for Riley Green as well. Uh, but sounds like Scott's going Tovar. I'm actually going to go Ricky Tiedemann, who was, the uh, by some people, the breakout minor league pitcher uh, last season, and there's a lot of hype around him. So I, I would go with him, yeah. but if you want a position player, I think you could choose any of those other ones. We didn't get a chance to talk about it because there were so many prospects to talk about, but uh, we did talk about Andrew Painter. Andrew Painter, uh, Marlins prospect Yuri Perez, and Ricky Tiedemann were three pitchers who made it to double-A as 19-year-olds last year, which is not something you see very often. They're all very tall. They all throw a ton of strikes despite being tall, and uh, it's easy to get excited about Tiedemann. I, I think, you know, he threw only 78 and two-thirds innings, so you got to worry with all pitching prospects. Like, how is how is is he going to be able to hold up physically? Right. But his size, I think, makes it more likely that he will. 
All right, let's move on to our next question from Alex. I am a longtime FBT listener, but I'm rarely able to listen to the entirety of every episode, so I apologize if this is something that you typically cover at some point during the season. Your discussion of advanced metrics is one of the most useful parts of the show, but sometimes it is difficult to contextualize some of the less common statistics without benchmarks or statistical ranges for what makes a player fringe, useful, elite, etc. Would it be possible to include a segment in one of the preseason shows discussing approximate benchmarks for advanced metrics that you find particularly useful in evaluating players? Uh, he mentioned OPS, which is kind of an archaic stat, I guess, at this point. I still like using <laughs> OPS. I mean, other people will yeah. use WOBA or Weighted Run to create a plus as like an all-encompassing offensive statistic. I still like OPS. I think it's, OPS. Yeah, it's still useful. OPS still gets you most of the way there. Right, like you, you sort the OPS rankings versus the WOBA rankings. They're going to be more or less the same. You know, like OPS overweights slugging percentage relative to on-base percentage, but, you know, even that is, generally speaking, the best players are going to be the best players. It's language everybody understands. Yes. And it's that's, close enough, you know? That's it's always the enough. thing for me, is that you, this is when I was an editor, I would always tell writers, like, communicate with your audience in a language that they understand, and OPS is generally more understood than WOBA, although we're, you know, the more you use WOBA, the more. And, and WOBA is calculated so that it, like, tends to be the average WOBA is very close to the average on-base percentage. That's typically how it's it's calculated, or I don't know what the right word there would be, but yeah, that's... So if you know what a good on-base percentage is, you generally know what a good WOBA is. Yeah, and WOBA and Weighted Runs Create a Plus, they are both uh, weighted averages. So I think it's they take um, ballpark and environment into account, right? Um, I think WRC Plus does. I don't think WOBA does. Okay, so again, these are just like all-encompassing statistics. They take it one step further. Uh, I like to use OPS still because, again, I think most listeners are familiar with that. Uh, don't want to alienate people too much. I know we throw out a bunch of stats all the time, but uh, usually I, I think it's useful and it's necessary for you know making a point uh, about a certain player. If you're talking about, uh, I wanted to mention the league averages for those, by the way. Uh, OPS is 706. I think typically if you're like an 800 OPS bat or better, like, like you're a pretty good hitter. And then, you know, once you get 850 plus, you know, approaching 900, you know, that's, that's an elite level hitter. So yeah. uh, just something to keep in mind. And the more we talk about it, I think the more you'll just kind of pick up context clues and like, all right, you could figure out which hitters are the best and what their OPSs are once we're talking about it. League average WOBA is 310 uh, and league average weighted runs created plus is 100 on the dot. If you're talking about StatCast data, which, again, we cite StatCast data a lot, and I think we do a good job of mentioning percentiles. So if we say, hey, this guy is a 93-mile-per-hour average exit velocity, we'll also tell you that's you know 90th percentile. So that, that could tell you to just very obviously how good that, that ranking is. But league average for these statistics that we cite often, average exit velocity, 88.6 miles per hour, league average. 7.5% barrel rate. That's how often a, a hitter is barreling a uh, a batted ball. And then hard hit rate is 38.2%. Again, those are league average. You know, if you get up over double-digit barrel rate, I think that's when, you know, we kind of start to take you seriously as a power hitter. Um, and then hard hit rate, you know, anything 45 to 50% or better is, you're generally in a pretty good range there. And barrel rate is, barrels are, it's, hard to define easily but it basically just it's it's like a good line drive or yeah. like a, a very well struck ball it's a it's a ball that tends to have a 
very high range of outcomes, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, it meets certain thresholds. So it'll yeah. be a certain, I think it's between 15 and 25 degree launch angle. But and, ha depending on the exit velocity, right. the, the launch angle can, can widen. So it's, you know. Those are the most optimal hit baseballs. So you want your yes. hitters barreling up the ball as often as they possibly could. Uh, for pitching, we cite a bunch of different things, but I know some places have moved to strikeout percentage over K per nine, and I get it. There's a legitimate argument for that. I think we still kind of talk about both of them, uh, but eight and a half K per nine was league average in 2022. ERA was 3.97. It was the same for FIP and XFIP. And again, those are ERA estimators. It, it takes into account different factors, things that aren't in the control of a pitcher. Um, so it's ba it basically tells you what an ERA should be based on what a pitcher can control, FIP and XFIP. 11.2% uh, swinging strike rate, that was league average. And then K minus walk rate, 14.3%. So as you approach 20% K minus walk, that's a really good mark. Uh, anything, you know, 12%, 13% or better on swinging strike rate, I think that's something we typically uh, like to see in our pitchers as well, Scott. Yeah, it is. And if I could go on a little tangent here, we were, you and I, Frank, were talking after a podcast recently. Um, and in, we were talking about how in recent years I've for I've I've made XFIP my uh, ERA estimator of choice, and that's the one I've cited most often. Uh, but that was during the time of the juice ball era, where all fly balls hit were dangerous, and that's that's kind of what XFIP does. Is, is it treats this is a rough way of putting it, but it treats every fly ball like a home run. So I thought it made sense to to do it to do it that way during. Um, the era where that was kind of true. I'm thinking XERA during the era we're entering in now. I, I, I'm feeling like that's the one that I'm most comfortable with. So I, you may hear me citing that one more often. That is the Statcast ERA estimator that um, is more gauging the damage that contact. every batted ball would do. Yeah. Um. And factoring and strikeout and stuff too, but it's it's not it's not the the traditional. These things are out of a pitcher's control, so that's what we're going to value more. It's not that kind of metric. So, I, I'm not totally sold on that, but I, I guess I'm just saying I'm probably going to be citing XFIP less. Well, and, and just to to paint the picture a little more, so FIP it takes the amount of home runs that a player that a pitcher gave up. Uh, the FIP is basically just strikeouts, walks, home runs allowed. XFIP assumes all pitchers have a allow the same number of fly balls to become home runs yeah which we know isn't true based on park factors and and skill set and and then xera takes into account uh quality of contact more on a more granular level so it basically does strikeouts and walks and then stat casts various expected uh batting average and and those stats and so you know, they're all trying to identify what a pitcher's skill level is, and they're all more predictive for the following year than ERA on its own will be. And there's also Sierra, and there's also uh, baseball prospectuses, DRA, and there's desert, which is deserved run, deserved run average, and then there's Ooh. all kinds of other things. And I, I find it all very interesting because there's they're all iterations on FIP in in a lot of ways. FIP was kind of the the first one back in like the early two thousands that that really uh, challenged the way we think about pitching and kind of took the like strikeouts, walks, and home runs are the only thing a pitcher can can control. And then 
we know that pitchers can, they do have some control over quality of contact, less so than batting than batters. Um, but there are some pitchers who consistently outperform all of these stats. And there are some pitchers that consistently underperform all of these stats. And so it's just to say that they're, they're all different tools to try to help predict how many runs a pitcher is going to give up. They all have their merits. I think it's interesting that like we have all these iterations and every year we're trying to come up with new things and vertical approach angle and tunneling and, and all these different things. And like, I find it fascinating that they're, they all seem to just like represent like marginal increases over like the the predictive value of FIP, which is like the most crude possible version of all this. (laughs) I think that's very interesting. Like it is still really interesting how much one, how much a pitcher's results are out of their control. And two, how much just strikeouts, walks and home runs does get you like 90% of the way there relative to quote unquote better stats. And I'll throw, I I wish there was a way to just, instantly like here's the average of all of them (laughs) so something i've done this off season that i haven't done in years past is i've created these like massive spreadsheets for pitchers that have all of their fip xfip sierra k minus walk rate swinging strike rate all on one page just so it's so much easier to compare and contrast certain pitchers and see like all right who excels where and so I, i guess that's the closest thing that you can get to it scott where you're just looking at each one individually um, I guess you can. I could like easily average it up if You're I wanted to. You're gonna make a to. column, but right, you know, yeah. that, w- that would be that. That's fine going into a new season, but when you're taking stock of it in season, yeah, it'd be a little, a little more difficult. The last one I'll throw out there for pitchers too is CSW percentage. That is called strikes plus whiff percentage, which. Alex Fast, a couple of years ago, did a great job researching this, and apparently it's more predictive than even swinging strike rate. So that's something else that, that's becoming more popular in the fantasy baseball space. And you can find most, if not all, of these things on Fangraphs or BaseballSavant.com. So if you want to dive in and look yourself, uh, those are some of the things that, that we're constantly looking at. This next one's from Darren. Love the podcast. Longtime listener. Have a salary cap slash auction draft question for head-to-head categories with $270 budget. How do you guys feel in terms of having more financial flexibility come draft time? We are allowed up to 10 keepers from the previous season, and right now my keepers are projected to take up $209 of my $270 budget. Not sure if that is the right move, but I would already be locking up one to two or potentially three-ish first, second-round players in Jose Ramirez, Jordan Alvarez, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Salaries for top players have been consistently escalating the past few years with a lot of projected first-round bats and pitchers going for $50-plus in our draft. For example, Mookie Betts, $57, Garrett Cole, $55, Mike Trout, $55. These are all above projected industry auction prices, but kind of where the league is right now. Yeah, and that's, that is what happens, as we were talking about, as... as uh, discounts are kept, then there's more money available to go to other players, which causes their price to go up. And it stands to reason. Uh, does he say how big the he doesn't say how big the league is, but it, it stands to reason uh, that uh, more of those extra dollars would go to the most hotly contested players. So that makes sense. Two hundred nine to keep. Three players, Jose Ramirez, Jordan Alvarez, Fernando Tatis. That's the question, yeah. That's like 70. I mean, that averages out to like 70 each, right? Well, it says we are allowed up to 10 keepers. So I don't know if there's other players involved uh, in that $209 Okay, presumably it is. Yeah. Presumably, yeah. Okay, so then it's probably fine. 
it's probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like are, it depends. If it's just those three players, then I, I would say $210 is probably too much. Yeah, I agree. But assuming you have other, the, the seven other players bring you up to 210, then it's probably okay. It, look, it, it just depends on like 210 for your 10 best players. That's probably a little pricey and you're going to have to find some discounts, but there are going to be discounts available in the in this draft because those top players are going to be inflated and and that's the thing you always have to keep in mind is there's a finite amount of money in every salary cap draft it's three thousand one hundred and eight three three thousand one hundred and twenty for a 12 team roto league yep. uh if you so 23 man lineups. yeah 23 yep. starting ro- roster spots um and so every dollar above a projection that's used means there's one dollar less available and so what you typically see is when you have you know a 55 dollar player you're going to have some values and this is what you always see in in drafts is there comes a point where it's like oh man i wish i had more money left (laughs) and so if you go into your draft with 209 of your 270 taken up you probably just need to sit out the first you know handful of players and and wait until some of those values come but they'll be there if you're patient And salary cap drafts are so unique to talk about, too, specifically when we're answering questions about different type of dynasty or keeper leagues that have inflation involved. For example, you know, if if you if a bunch of people are keeping players way under their value, then that means other players are going to go for way more of their value. Every salary cap draft is different. Um, That's why it's hard to talk about just exact values, uh, salary cap values for players. But it's really and I know this is going to sound like a cop out answer. It's a feel thing. You need to feel it within the draft. If everyone is overspending for a certain position or certain type of player and you want that type of player, then you have to jump in on that that you know that inflation within the draft. And um, so it's just really hard to say like, hey, this player is worth this amount of this amount of money because every salary cap draft is different. It's it's really kind of tough to nail down. But if you play in one, I think it's probably the best format to play in. So I, I will throw that out there as well. This next one's from uh, our guy, Jamie Campbell. I know he's a uh, longtime listener, supporter, tweets at us. I think he was in one of the listener leagues last year as well. My longtime 10-team Roto Fantasy League decided to switch from one keeper to up to three keepers this season. So basically, each team has the option of drafting or keeping one, two, or three players in the first three rounds of the draft. It's a league that allows daily roster moves, and I've already decided to keep Shohei Otani, hitter and pitcher, which... He is the number one player in that format, uh, and Rafael Devers. But I'm struggling a bit with my third keeper. My options are to keep Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, Justin Verlander, Alec Manoa, or none of them, and take the draft pick. With that in mind, would you keep one of the four players that I mentioned, which one, or would you take the draft pick in lieu of a third keeper? Uh, I, I would keep Michael Harris. I have him most late second rounder in a... I assume this is standard Roto League. Yeah, it's 10 teams, 10 teams instead yeah. of 12. So he probably wouldn't be more like an early third rounder in that case. But even still, I don't think you're going to do any better with a third round pick. So Otani, Devers, Harris is is what I'd do. And that is a, that is a dynamite start to your offense, too. I mean, you're covering pretty much every base there. Uh, you got third base locked up. You have an outfielder and obviously Otani who can, you know, you could get both pitching and hitting stats from and. And then I think you just, you know, maybe use your fourth or fifth round pick on a starting pitcher. So it seems like a pretty good start there, Chris. Yeah. And then when you're playing in a daily league, like it's, it's almost unfair. It's, it's unfair that you get to keep Otani like that. That's, 
it's one where like he's basically you're getting two players and and probably gosh i don't know would would otani if he was separate would he be a top three round the 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 pitcher version of otani might be a fourth round pick but like it's close enough yeah so you're basically getting an extra an extra pick there it's it's very helpful And, and yeah in this situation like it's possible that a better player than Michael Harris might slip through. Maybe someone has five players who are worthy of being in the first three rounds, but I think that Harris, there's a pretty good chance he's going to be right around the right pick there either way. This next one's from Cody with a T. Dear Jim, Dwight, and Michael. Hmm. Never heard of him. I'll be Jim. I know, apparently, Jim uh, is the bully. Everyone wants uh, to be Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's such a concession to have to be Jim, <laughs> the one the women all the, swoon the, over. The, the <laughs> dynamic that I've always said was the person who thinks they're Jim in the office is actually Andy. Oh, yeah. don't say that. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. true. Uh, I don't know. Like, who would you guys be? I mean, Chris already has the glasses, so I guess Dwight makes sense. Wow. Scott, I mean, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Chris. We're. I don't think you want to be any of these people. It's like, I, like I don't like. I know Jim's the cool. Oh, Jim's so cool. But like, I, I don't like Jim. I think Jim's a jerk. Uh, oh, come uh, on. This is this is a long running position that I've held that people yell at me. But like, Jim's a <laughs> Jim's a really mean person in that show. And obviously, you don't want to be Michael or Dwight. So Jim has some very sensitive moments, Chris. I think uh, you're painting. He, he's him. a jerk. He picks on his his coworkers. He thinks he's better than them. It's it's a it's a real thing. I would say that it's mostly in good fun, though, Chris. It's not. All right. Uh, well, Michael identity Scott theft White is not a crime. <laughs> Everybody in the crime, office likes Jim except for Dwight, right? Eh. No, they actually like each other. If you watch the, uh, yeah. well, yeah, they they become they they yeah they they forge they their relationship out as an time, office, but, it, but they but become the a family. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean. I'm just saying, if you knew Jim, Dwight in real would be life, a really like, difficult person to work with. Though, let's be honest. I'm not saying I'd handle it the same way Jim did, but like, you know, he was he was kind of a slacker at the start of the series here. too. Anyway, the whole point of this, by the way, is uh, when you send in an email or a question, feel free to attach some kind of tree. I don't want to be any of them. Is what I'm saying. All right, <laughs> that's I, I remove myself from the office discussion. I don't want to be any of these people. All right, Chris. Well, if you're not any of these three, that will make you. Toby, I'm sorry. I have a decision to make in a categories league. Five by five with average homers, runs, steals, and OBP. And then on the pitching side, wins, saves, ERA, whip, and strikeouts. We are allowed to keep three players, and players have to be kept at a minimum salary of $8. Overall team salary is $300. Some good keepers for value I have include Spencer Strider for eight, Gunnar Henderson for eight, uh, Vaughn Grissom for eight. I almost said Marquise. I don't know why. Uh, I almost I almost <laughs> did that in my head, too. Uh, Dalton Varsho for 11. Carlos Rodon for 22. Tristan McKenzie for eight. Dustin May for eight. Uh, for value. For bigger salaries, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for 67. Max Scherzer for 48. And Yu Darvish for 19. Leaning towards Strider, Rodon, and maybe Varsho or Gunnar Henderson. And that's Man. exactly what we're talking about with inflation and keeper leagues, especially when you when you start to push more than two hundred and sixty dollars, like the the extra dollars generally aren't going to be spent evenly. They're going to go to the elite players. That that that's the way I would look at it at least. I think you gotta go strider for eight. 
Mm-hmm. I think Varsho for 11. I think Strider, Varsho, and Radon. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Gunnar Henderson for eight would be nice too, but I think he's, I, I think he comes in fourth here. Yeah. Does it change uh, if it's a one versus two catcher league? Not really. Not at that price. I think Varsho, I mean, in, in your typical $260 budget league, you know, he's going to be a, probably $18 player in, in most leagues. So I don't think it's a bad value either way. All right, let's wrap up with this one from Drake. So I've been in a big competitive keeper points league, can keep up to 30 out of 40 players for about 10 seasons now. And I finally won the league last year. Congrats. Our award is the number one pick. And I'm debating between, ah, so this is a prospect question, Jackson Holiday. Drew Jones, and Kodai Senga. These are first-year player draft uh, options. I have Senga in here because my team is already great, and I can keep winning now by potentially adding another elite arm. Pitching is key in this format. Uh, I attached photos of my team. Sorry, I didn't include those. I also have Jordan Lawler, but could not fit him in the picture based off that team build and age. All right, so this is kind of contextual, but Scott, what are you thinking here? Jackson Holiday, who is... The son of Matt Holiday, Drew Jones, who is the son of Andrew Jones, or a potential top 25 starting pitcher in Kodai Senga? I think you keep one of the kids. Uh, Senga's already 30, and, well, I don't think... I can't say with complete certainty he won't be an elite arm, because he certainly was in Japan. I don't think he's going to be an elite arm. I mean, I would have I would have put him a lot higher than 64 in my top 100 if I, I thought he was. He has durability issues. He has control issues. Uh, obviously, the the feel for all of his pitches is going to change. Going with a a ball that's you know, a little bit different, uh, sized a little different, and I think the texture is a little bit different too. And and so it's it's just it's it's hard to say that he's going to uh with with those with those red flags that he's going to come in and be an elite pitcher uh which is an elite arm which is how you were describing him potentially and then he's 30 so if he's not an elite arm this year that's not going to change like if anything he's going to start to regress so I, i think you go with holiday or drew who are both very high end they're both I think they're 15th, 15th and 16th in my top 100. I do have Drew ahead. I think the overall ceiling is higher for him. Uh, I keep calling him Drew. It's Drew Jones, obviously. Um, but the fact it's a points league, I mean, Holiday's plate discipline is a big part of his appeal. And I, only, I do only have them separated by one spot in my rankings. So uh, – I might lean Jackson Holiday over Drew Jones in this specific scoring format, but either way, I, I I don't think I don't think you can go wrong. I think I would go Drew Jones as well, but it is close, Scott, as you highlighted back to back in your prospect rankings. Chris, I don't know if you have any spicy first year player draft takes, but uh, do you have a thought on this question? No, I mean, I, if it was a position player coming over from a foreign league. I, I think I'd be more apt to to take the risk, but pitchers hold so many so many unknowns and so much risk anyway that it's like generally speaking, I'll take the more sure thing, but he's unproven at this level anyway. So I, I think you'd probably just lean towards the the young guys. 
All right, fair enough. And Holiday feels like more of a sure thing, but that's because he got 20 games in and looked really good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't Versus know how Drew much. Jones. Yeah, yeah so Jones had a... Jones didn't end up debuting last year because he tore a labor in his shoulder, which is not insignificant. I, I mean, the, the Diamondbacks number one pick the previous year Jordan Lawler the same thing happened to him and, and he came back and looked amazing so when you're when you're that young um, I, I don't worry about it so much but it is it is an added risk factor for Drew Jones can the can the Diamondbacks get their their prospects some like shoulder pads or something because Carmen Carroll also had a season ending shoulder surgery in yeah. 2021 right yep yeah yep that's weird sure did yeah Let's go. Come on, get those shoulders on track. Uh, you know, I might, I might be part of the Diamondbacks organization because I have a slightly torn labrum as well. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't feel too good, man. I, I got to be probably honest. probably all do. We yeah, all do at some point. It's rough. I, I got to get that fixed. Anyway, no one uh, cares about I, that. I, I do want to say, just looking at the mailbag questions that you pulled, like clearly it's keeper season. Clearly those are top of mind for people. Yep. Um, in addition to having a dynasty top 150, I have a top 50 keepers based on 2022 cost. So for everyone here who is asking, oh, do I keep a, uh, a $3 Spencer Strider versus a $22 Carlos Rodon? I, that's what that, those are the situations that that top 50 keeper list is, is meant to address, where you're have to, having to weigh the cost of the player in addition to how good he is. So... If you're out there listening and you have keeper questions of your own, be sure to check out that article on cbssports.com. Do it. cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Check out all of the great work from both of these gents, Scott White and Chris Towers. And we're going to wrap there. For those two, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. These guys will be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. 